The Man Who Was Thursday, A Nightmare, by G.K. Chesterton. Episode 3, The Exposure. The day had grown increasingly colder. When I came out into the street, I was surprised by a few flakes of snow. I stood for a moment under the doorway of a small hairdresser's shop, the front window of which had a sickly wax lady in evening dress. The snow began to thicken and fall fast. Now that the wax lady had sufficiently depressed my spirits, all I had left was to stare into the white and empty street. To my astonishment, the figure of a man stood quite still outside the shop, staring into the window. His top hat was loaded with snow like the hat of Father Christmas, but it seemed nothing could tear him away from the contemplation of the colorless wax doll in dirty evening dress. My heart stopped as I realized that the man was the paralytic old Professor de Worms. It scarcely seemed the place for a person of his years and infirmities. Perhaps the man's malady, whatever it was, involved some momentary fits of rigidity or trance. Whatever it is, the professor's stroke and his elaborate and limping walk would make it easy to escape and leave him miles behind. I strolled away through the dancing snow, turned up two or three streets, down two or three others, and entered a small Soho restaurant for lunch. To drink for you, sir? A glass of red wine and some black coffee. Thank you kindly. That sounds like a good combination. Do you need both to relax and to wake up? I turned to find the auburn-haired Rosamond sitting directly behind me. Ah, uh, yes. That's true. <laughs> May I join you? Uh, of course. Please. I'm sorry. It's been quite a morning for me already. This is quite a shock. Haven't you slept? No, actually. What are you doing here? Having lunch with you. Is that not all right? No, it's wonderful. <laughs> I don't deserve the pleasure. Amazing this weather, don't you think? The skies were clear not two hours ago. I know, I was there. Unfortunately, my cloak decided to part ways with me before I realized. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> Four small courses and a bottle of wine later, we had exhausted all the small talk. I could tell she had questions. I, however, didn't have many answers. Where did my brother take you last night? Nowhere of consequence. We went for a drink. You're hiding something. <laughs> Look at the people around us. I once imagined that all these kindly foreigners were potential anarchists like your brother. I had no idea. You don't have to cover for him. I can handle the truth. Your brother, I can say for certain, is a real modern pessimist. <laughs> but if anything, he is only the mere esthete of anarchism. I think of him now with an old kindness, as if we had played together as children. Did he take you underground? I have been much deeper underground than I ever thought possible. <laughs> oh. 
Right now it seems like a bad dream, but I know it was an objective reality. This has truly been the worst night of my life. <laughs> Rendered me speechless. <laughs> There's nothing more to be said. <laughs> For now, we are free and free London, drinking wine among the free. But I'm in the company of a beautiful woman. Forgive the rantings of a weary man. Forgiven? Tell me more about this beautiful woman. Well, <clears throat> she's the only reason I doubt this is a nightmare. You still doubt? I won't know for sure unless I wake up. I'll be sure to be there when you do. I look forward to it. Allow <laughs> 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 ah. me to handle the check. I'll return shortly. My mind was swirling with alternating thoughts of joy and dread. I could hardly reconcile the fear of the morning's events followed by the elation of talking with Rosamond. But any trace of her vanished when I saw a withered old man sitting at a small table by the window. It was the anarchist Professor de Worms staring into a glass of milk. Time stopped as I stared at him. My feet started to run before my head could command them. Can that old corpse be following me? I stayed too long in one place so that even such leaden feet could find me. With a little brisk walk, I can put a man like that as far away as Timbuktu. Perhaps I was being too fanciful. Surely Sunday would not be such a fool as to send a lame man such as he. On Fleet Street, I had to stop in a Sunday tea shop to take shelter. Afternoon, black coffee. Glass of warm milk, if you please. What conjuring trick was this? There was no cab following me. I didn't hear any wheels outside. But the old man could only walk like a snail, and I had walked like the wind. There was no time to ponder this contradiction. An omnibus pulled over, about a hundred yards up. Hold the door! I sat down on the top level and looked out the window behind me. A soiled top hat, dripping with snow, rose gradually up the steps. Under the shadow of its brim, the short-sighted face and shaky shoulders of Professor de Worms. Unless the philosophical entities called time and space had been suspended, it appeared quite certain that he had run after the omnibus. I repressed an elemental impulse to leap over the side and ran down the steps instead. In my bewildered state, I saw the crooked lanes just off Fleet Street. I had the vague idea that if this incomprehensible old jack-in-the-box was really pursuing me, I could throw him off the scent in this labyrinth of little streets. After about twenty alternate angles that described an unthinkable polygon, I slowed down to listen for any sound of pursuit. I rambled and dodged through more tiny streets and came out on the main thoroughfare much farther than I thought I would. There was a vast open area, and across the way was St. Paul's Cathedral, sitting in the sky. The roads were devoid of people, though I suppose it was natural because of the storm and the fact that it was Sunday. Sunday. 
The word caused me to bite my lip. It was henceforth for hire like some indecent pun. The world had fallen into a sickly, premature twilight of smoky and sinister colors. But fighting against them was the massive black dome of St. Paul's Cathedral. And on that dome was a glowing patch of white snow, perfectly framing the great orb and the cross. The devils might have captured heaven, but they had not yet captured the cross. I knew I could tear out the secret of this dancing paralytic. And so, I turned to face my pursuer. Professor de Worms came slowly round the corner, his unnatural form outlined against a lonely gas lamp, twisted out of shape by the tortuous streets he had been threading. He came nearer and nearer, the lamplight shining on his lifted spectacles and patient face. I waited for him as a man waits for death. He passed me like a total stranger without even a blink of his mournful eyelids. Pretending to be innocent, as if the whole pursuit had been an accident, I'll call his bluff. Catch me if you can! I looked over my shoulder and to my horror, the professor was chasing me at an impossibly fast sprint. He had long, swinging strides like an Olympic runner, but his head was still pale, grave and professional. We sped across Ludgate Circus, up Ludgate Hill, round St. Paul's Cathedral, along Cheapside. All the while, my memory was flashing with all the nightmares I had ever known. I then broke away toward the river and ended almost down by the docks. There lay the yellow panes of a low-lighted public house. Give me a mug of beer. It was a foul tavern, sprinkled with foreign sailors. A place where opium might be smoked or knives drawn. A moment later, Professor de Worms entered the place and sat down carefully. If you please, a glass of warm milk for an old man. You got it, Gramps. He sat in the chair opposite me. I emptied a whole pewter pot of ale before he even touched his milk. Are you a police detective? A detective? Do I look like a detective? Yes, you do. What, the hat? Or did I accidentally leave my badge on my shirt? No, wait, it's the boots, right? I bought them at an army surplus store. Do you work for Scotland Yard? Are you an undercover policeman? Forgive me if I misunderstand the delicacies of your German philosophy. Perhaps policeman is an evolutionary stage, wherein the ape fades gradually into a man, then eventually a policeman. So the monkey is only the policeman that may be, and you think I will be as well? Whatever it is, I don't mind being anything in German thought. Did you hear me? Ask a plain question, you pattering spy. Are you or are you not a detective for the police? No! Do you swear it? If you swear falsely... Will you be damned? Will you let the devil dance on your grave? You swear you are an anarchist, a terrorist. I do not work for the police. <sighs> That's a pity, because I do. Because... what? You what? I'm a detective. 
But since you tell me that you are not, then I suppose I ought to arrest you. Here is my card. (laughs) (laughs) At myself. Here is my card as well. You've caught me. Pull yourself together or you'll hyperventilate. Have another beer, I'll join you. But you haven't drunk your milk. Milk? Do you think I'd even look at this crap without the anarchists? (laughs) We're all Christians here, though perhaps um, not strict ones. (laughs) Finish my milk here. I'll finish it for you. (laughs) You're not an old man at all, then? Well, I can't take my face off here. It's rather elaborate makeup. As to whether I'm old or not, I'll let you decide. But there's nothing the matter with you. Yes. I am able to catch colds. (laughs) (laughs) This is absolutely fantastic. I think the cosmos have turned upside down. Or rather, they were upside down, and now they have turned right side up. I wasn't fleeing the devil, but an elder brother of my own house. Did you know that Gogol was one of us? Me? No, I didn't. Did you? I knew no more than the dead. I thought the president was talking about me, and I rattled in my boots. <laughs> and and I thought he was talking about me. I had my hand on my revolver ready to go. As did I. As did Gogol, apparently. Right away I noticed his teeth were a bit too crooked. <laughs> now you've got a good get-up, much more convincing. Ah, well, it's all a difference in artistic theory. Gogol followed what he thought the ideal low-class anarchist would look like. I, however, am a portrait painter. Or more accurately, I am a portrait. I don't quite follow. I am the perfect portrait of the celebrated German intellectual, Professor Constance de Worms. You mean you look exactly like him? Wouldn't he be just a bit upset if he found out? Mm, He already knows about it. Then why hasn't he exposed you? Because I have exposed him. Right. I am a performance artist, you see. My name is Wilkes. I once met the famous nihilist Professor de Worms, and something about him captured me. He's the man who claimed the destructive principle in the universe is God. One and the same. I couldn't take my eyes off him so much that I decided to imitate him, down to the last detail. I thought it'd be a fun joke at a party. (laughs) However, I suffer from my art being too perfect. Everybody thought that I really was the great Professor. Dear God. Before I knew it, they threw the real professor out as an imposter, and now nobody believes a word he says. And you've been wearing that dirty old beard ever since. When I left, I was confronted by a man who said he was an undercover detective with the police. I thought I was being arrested for impersonation, but then I found out they only wanted to recruit me. The secret campaign against the Central Council of Anarchists. And before I could even consider it, I was walking out of there with a good salary and a little blue card. (laughs) My conversation with the chief was short, but he seemed to be a man who knows what he's doing. I don't really know much else about him, because... I know. Because you talked to him in a pitch-black room. Yes. Why, there were three of us there. Three out of seven is fighting odds, if only we'd known... We were only three. If we were three hundred, we still could do nothing. Not if we were three hundred against four. No. Not if we were three hundred against Sunday. Professor, this is crazy. Are you afraid of that man? Yes, I am. And so are you. Yes. 
You're right. I am afraid of him. That's why I swear by God that I will find this man that I fear and strike him down. Even if heaven itself was his throne, I would pull him down. How? Why? Because I'm afraid of him. And no man should leave anything in the universe that he is afraid of. What courage is there in striking down that which you do not fear? We must fight what we fear even if we strike at the stars. Sunday is a fixed star. He'll be a falling star. Do you have any idea where you're going? Yes. I'm going to stop this bomb from going off. And how exactly are you going to do that? I don't know. All the arrangements were left up to the private hands of Dr. Bull and that baffly marquee. Their plans are most likely in motion, and I doubt even the President knows what they are. We must speak to Dr. Bull as soon as we can, tomorrow. We don't know where he is. Actually, I do. All right, then. Spit it out. He has offices at a research hospital in Hertfordshire. We can secure a hotel nearby tonight, and I'll take you there first thing in the morning. You mean you'll join me? Will you take the risk? Young man, it's amusing that you consider me a coward. Remember, you think it is possible to pull down the president. I know that it is impossible, yet I am still going to try. There are no words to express the abyss between isolation and having one ally. Two is not twice one, two is two thousand times one. That is why the world will always return to monogamy. We settled into our respective hotel rooms, though there was still much to be discussed. However, my mind was consumed with the image of Rosamond Gregory. I pictured her sitting alone in that restaurant, humiliated, silently awaiting my return. She may never forgive me. If only I could get a message to her. I wrote a note, which I would later pass along to the concierge to attempt to deliver. I come bearing burgundy. Thank you, room service. A glass of wine is a jolly thing. Yet you drink it like it is medicine. You'll have to excuse my manner. I've acted the paralytic professor for so long, <laughs> I can't seem to shake it. Yes. But I can't help but think that something is worrying you. Clever, yes. I am worried, because we still have a great problem to face. Can you play the piano? Yes. In fact, some consider me rather talented. Does that solve the problem? Listen closely to me. We are trying to steal a secret from a very sharp, very strong, and very wicked man. It will be more difficult than stealing the crown jewels. I believe there is no man, except Sunday, of course, who is more seriously startling and formidable than as that grinning little physician with those cursed black goggles. Sunday was not asleep when he locked up the plans of this outrage in the round, evil head of Dr. Bull. And you think it would help if I played the piano for him? Don't be an ass. A piano player has quick, independent fingers. If we are to come through this interview alive, we must have a code of signals to communicate silently. I have come up with a rough alphabetical cipher corresponding to the five fingers, like this, see. B, A, D, 
bad. A word we might use often. Fascinating. Show me more. H-E-L-I-E-S. He lies. Outstanding. Like this? Yes, good. We can convey simple messages that would seem to only be idle taps on our knee. Let me refill your glass. I think you have it. I've always had a talent for puzzles and conjuring with my hands. Yes, you are abnormally quick. Though I think we need more words that convey fine shades of meaning. My favourite word is coeval. What's yours? Please take this seriously. Lush, too. We have to have lush. A word applied to grass, you know. Why do you think we will ever need to speak about lush grass? But there are several scenarios. Do you understand the danger here? This is not a time for game. I only wish this language of yours had a wider scope. Maybe we could extend it from the fingers to the toes. We'd have to pull our boots off. Mr. Syme, I am going to bed. All right, then, if you say so. Good night. Lush. I sat up for some time mastering the new code. It was a fitful, restless night. I was awakened the next morning while the east was still sealed with darkness and found my grey-bearded ally standing like a ghost beside my bed. I sat up, blinking, then slowly collected my thoughts, threw off the bedclothes and stood up. The air was cold with the danger of what we were about to attempt. I trusted my new companion, but it was the trust between two men going to the scaffold. Well, I dreamt of that alphabet of yours. Did it take you a while to make it up? I said, did it take you long to invent all this? I'm pretty good when it comes to these things, and it took me a while. Did you learn it all at once? How long did it take you? Damn it, why don't you answer me? Perhaps he had gone mad, or worse. What did I really know about this queer creature whom I so quickly accepted as a friend? Of course it was improbable that there should be another policeman there beside Gogol. He must be a threefold traitor who had turned for the last time. You're tapping. Of course. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I will only talk like this. We must get used to it. I'm sorry, old chap. Here. All right. Let's have breakfast. We paused for a minute only to stuff down coffee and coarse, thick sandwiches at a coffee stall, and then made our way across the river, which under the grey and growing light looked as desolate as Acheron. We reached the bottom of a huge block of buildings and began in silence up the naked, numberless stone steps. My head spun as they seemed to go on forever, like the empty infinity of arithmetic, Something unthinkable, yet necessary to thought. Like the meaningless statements of astronomy about the distance of the fixed stars. I was ascending the house of reason. A thing more hideous than unreason itself. I don't know if you've read much about this scientific revolution. 
It's a reprehensible, godless vocation. This facility is world-renowned for carrying out some of the most unchristian acts of science and medicine known to man, each repulsive affront on God's creation. No doubt that Dr. Bull is the driving force behind this evil place. We were led to Dr. Bull's office, where he was sitting, writing at a desk. The strong white light of morning came from one side, creating sharp shadows on his pale face. The two black glasses that encased his eyes might rarely have been the black cavities of a skull. And indeed, if ever Death himself sat writing at a wooden table, it might have been he. Dr. Bull, your guess. Please, have a seat. Thank you. He smiled with a quiet good humor that left us helpless. I'm sorry to disturb you so early, comrade. You have no doubt made all the arrangements for the Paris affair. We have information which renders intolerable anything in the nature of a moment's delay. Please, do not think me excessively abrupt, but I advise you to alter those plans, or if it is too late for that, to follow your agent with all the support you can get for him. Comrade Simon, I have had an experience which it would take more time to recount than we can afford. If we are to act on it, I will, however, relate the occurrence in detail, even at the risk of losing time, if you really feel that it is essential to the understanding of the problem we have to discuss. Dr. Bull just sat there, smiling pleasantly. There was no way of knowing what was going on in his head behind those black glasses. I began to feel a new sickness and despair. As I said, the incident that has occurred to us and has led us to ask for the information about the Marquis is one which you may think it better to have narrated. But as it came in the way of Comrade Syme rather than me... The professor moved his hand over to the end table next to him, then madly tapped out a code with his fingers. Take over. The devil has sucked me dry. Yes! The thing really happened to me. I had the good fortune to fall into conversation with a detective who took me, thanks to my hat, for a respectable person. Wishing to clinch my reputation for respectability, I took him and made him very drunk at the Savoy. Under this influence, he became friendly and told me in so many words that within a day or two they hoped to arrest the Marquis in France. So, unless you or I can get on his track... Gabriel immediately brought this information to me, and we came here together to see what to do about it. I leaned forward and tapped a clear message. I have an intuition. Then sit on it. It seems unquestionably urgent that we act as quickly as possible. It's really quite poetic. You are a dead man. I fear that if we delay, we might have on our hands the same type of disaster that lost us our previous Thursday. My intuition is as poetic as the feeling of the coming spring. Go to hell. It resembles the smell of the sea, which may be found in the heart of lush fields of grass. All we need from you is the details of your plan, Vitor. Dr. Bull! Oh! 
Dr. Bull, would you be so kind as to take off your sunglasses? Shut up, you imbecile! The doctor rose slowly, still smiling, and took off his spectacles. Uh, Why, it's extraordinary! It was a stunning transformation. Sitting in the chair before us was a very boyish-looking man with frank hazel eyes, cockney clothes like those of a city clerk, and an unquestionable breath about him of being very good and rather commonplace. The smile was still there, but it might have been the first smile of a baby. I knew it! I was right! It was all the sunglasses! Those black eyes made your jolly face look like Satan himself. It certainly does make a a, a clear difference. But but in regards to the project at hand... Damn the project! Look at him! Look at his face! You don't still think he's an anarchist, do you? Damn you, Gabriel! By God, I'll take the risk myself. Dr. Bull, I am an undercover detective with the police. There's my card. (sighs) Oh, boy. Am I awfully glad you guys came early. Now we can all go stop the bombing together. Yes, I'm in the force, too. Here's my card as well. (laughs) God almighty! There were more damned detectives than there were damned terrorists at the damned council. We might have fought easily. We were four against three. No, we were not so lucky. We were still only four against one. Thursday was written and directed by Andrew Walquist, based on the novel by G.K. Chesterton. This episode featured performances by Jacob Sidney, Lana Joy, William Dennis Hunt, and Stephen Allen Carver. The music was composed and arranged by David Stanton. This episode is dedicated to the memory of William Dennis Hunt. Your spirit lives on in the hearts of those you've touched with your talent and friendship. A full list of credits, special thanks, and sound effects can be found on our website, www.manwhoisthursday.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for episode four of The Man Who Was Thursday. <laughs>